Great. Off we go. Very good. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us on short notice. As you've seen yesterday, we downgraded Walgreens from uh, hold to sell and CVS from buy to hold. And this was in tandem with the report we've been working on for some time on the 340B discount drug program, which we believe is at a point of change. And we're going to talk today about some of the changes going on driven by manufacturer actions over the last six months. We're going to size the program and we are going to hit on the downgrades of Walgreens and CVS and how this all comes together. So thanks for joining. We'll jump right into it. And with some luck and speed, we'll have time for questions at the end. If you have questions, simply email them to me and I'll take them from the inbox. So the objective of the 340B report, uh, number one was to, uh, number one I'll say was why 340B? And I have to say that this is a topic that every time we sit down with market access teams at pharma or retailers, particularly the regional chains, um, or folks that have left the supply chain, I'd call it the shuffleboard set, of pharmacy and PBM, they obsess on this topic. And they've done it even more so since an executive order in 2019, October of 19, that seemed to clear the way to challenge HRSA, the regulators, uh, authority. And so we've seen a massive increase in the number of questions and dialogue around the program among the supply chain, and yet very little discussion among investors. We had some pharma investors, therapeutics investors reach out to us as we saw uh, Lilly dip their toe in the water back in the summer, but very little discussion. It percolated a little bit a month or two ago with Walgreens, but that was then dismissed by the company. And frankly, our discussions with Walgreens led us to conclude that it was as big as the profit driver as we thought, or it might be, and really led us to dig in. So it was those conversations that led to the report you're seeing today. Now, the goal is to figure out how much of the discounts that manufacturers are providing to the program end up with contract pharmacies. And in order to do that, you have to go through a several step process. One is you have to actually size the program at gross uh, spending, because that is often what the pharmacies uh, will earn a share of. So they're getting paid based on gross. You have to identify gross. Once you've done that, you need to understand what amount of discounts are actually flowing through the pharmacies. And then we have to apply the margin the pharmacies are going to earn. We were able to find quite a few contracts as well as uh, GAO and OIG have reports on this subject. And then once you've done that, you can actually figure out, okay, how much is residing at the pharmacies, and then you have to consider, well, do they keep that money, uh, and are they at risk should those dollars go away? So that's the process. We're going to walk through that and, of course, talk about how does it impact uh, the downgrades. And I would say it's not the only factor. There are a lot of issues with the retail segment today, but it was the catalyst for the downgrade at this moment in time, our expectation that there are already changes to the 340B program that are going to impact us in early 21 already are impacting now, and that we could really see many manufacturers join in as we get into January. So uh, what you'll see here, the Walgreens downgrade, 340B profit disruption, you can see the impact below. We'll talk about how we got to this impact, but actions already taken, we think represent 
$166 million headwind for Walgreens, 140 at CVS. Of course, given uh, the lack of diversification at Walgreens relative to CVS, a much greater impact at the earnings level, 3% versus 1%. Uh, where this gets much more interesting is if we do see the top 20 manufacturers jump in in January, we think this could be as much as a 11% annual impact. And that is without, you know, it, that, that is just half of the program, so that half the risk. In the downgrades, we talk about the kind of countervailing balance of a very weak cough and cold season versus vaccine contributions, and the fact that those contributions should be viewed as temporary. Um, but other risks that we're particularly weighing on Walgreens, uh, specialty scale, we've talked this year about Prime determining that they're going to move what we think will be 80% of their customers to uh, Acredo, or sorry, Evernorth, as we get to late in the year. And opioid litigation, where we expect a real focus as we get into January and February uh, on the pharmacies once the distributors are able to obtain a global settlement. So there is a lot going on in pharmacy, but the catalyst here was 340B, and that's where we're going to focus today. Uh, a bit of a decoder ring here for those of you that are new. I know most of the folks on this call have some familiarity. What's actually important that you should understand here? We're talking about uh, poor patients. We're talking about outpatient pharmacies at the hospital. So when we talk about our clinics, so covered entities is going to refer to a hospital or a clinic. That's who this was originally created for. They would get a discount when they administered a drug through their outpatient pharmacy. In 1996, if you didn't have your own pharmacy, HRSA said you can have a contract pharmacy. First time we heard that label contract pharmacy, you can have one relationship with the contract pharmacy. There was a demo uh, in the aughts. It led in 2010 to HRSA saying, you can have as many contract pharmacies, as many relationships as you want. And from 10 to 2015, we saw an explosion as pharmacy chains, national pharmacy chains begin to began to focus on 340B as an opportunity. We also saw them buy third-party administrators that could go out and identify, let's find a claim, even if it's well outside the community where that hospital, that covered entity operates. Um, and eventually, beginning in 2015, we see the specialty pharmacies join in. You're gonna see the level of relationships they've created has been massive. And all of a sudden you move from having 1% of all relationships in 340B uh, with specialty pharmacies in 2015 to 20% as we get to 2020. So a massive uptake in specialty. And my view is that was really the, the straw that broke the camel's back. We've seen manufacturers attempt to uh, drive regulatory and legislative change didn't work. When the specialty manufacturers got into the business, grew the amount of dollars flowing through uh, and also grew the number of duplicate discounts. If you're paying a discount at the same time as you're receiving a rebate. You can imagine that for a manufacturer means that a lot of these products are unprofitable. They're actually paying to give these products to patients. Uh, that has been a, a very large thorn in the side of manufacturers and I think leads to what we see here in the second half of 2020. So let's start by talking about the catalyst. So manufacturer action over the last six months. This really starts with Lilly dipping a toe in the water in the summer with Cialis, but then coming back and as of September, uh, moving to limit 
the discounts that they would provide to contract pharmacies. Remember, this is a pharmacy operated by the large retailers, the Walgreens being the largest player, CVS next, Walmart third, uh, as well as specialty pharmacies, again, including Walgreens and CVS, but also now Cigna uh, and Optum at United. So what we saw was activity action that would limit the ability to access a discount for a contract pharmacy. We saw a similar from AstraZeneca, and then we saw several players state, you must begin to submit claims so we can identify what we shouldn't be paying. And if you don't, we may uh, put in place a rule, similar to you'll see Sanofi on October 1st said, we are going to limit the discounts that we provide. So uh, will we actually see contract pharmacies provide these claims? I'm not sure it matters. For now, the answer has been no. It has given an opportunity for manufacturers to say, look, we're willing to play nice, but if you don't, we're going to limit the discounts that are flowing to the contract pharmacy. We're going to limit the business of the contract pharmacy. So how much could that impact? We see that these six players are roughly 29% of brand sales. Uh, we think they're 35 to 40% of contract pharmacy. The players we've seen to date are biased toward retail. So we segment between retail and specialty, uh, particularly on the insulin or diabetes products. It's interesting to see that early moves by Lilly, Sanofi, uh, later, uh, just last week, we see that Novo comes back and says for January 1st, we're going to adopt a new policy as well. We don't know were they planning to do this? But we've seen that Umalog has been um, declining in the spe specialty and retail channel. If that drove share to Novolog, I don't think they had a decision to make. And so when you think about that occurring in many therapies, you could see how this could uh, really snowball very quickly. And on the specialty side, we're watching J&J, we're watching Pfizer, we're watching Gilead, the big specialty franchises to see what takes place. So that is the catalyst, 35 to 40% today and more potentially in January. Let's go through the program sizing. And this is a long and deep report. I'm going to try to walk through this fairly efficiently and we can certainly uh, speak and present on these topics in much, much more detail. And there's a model that lies behind this. But the starting point was, each year, what we know about the 340B program comes from the regulator, HRSA, giving a budget request, which we see in 2018 at $24 billion, 2019 at $30 billion. This is the value of sales flowing through the program. But if we're going to estimate how much is going through or how much is retained by the pharmacy, we need a measure of gross sales, uh, dollarized wax sales. And so we've built off some intelligence that IQVIA, their uh, Center of Excellence on Market Access had put together, and I should say appreciate their collaboration on this. And we estimated out the gross dollarized sales out to 20 and 21. Once you've done that, you can get back to the discounts, the 45 billion in 2020, 53 billion in 21 that are going to be flowing to covered entities either uh, through their contract, through their own pharmacies, remember that outpatient pharmacy at the hospital, or through a contract pharmacy. So then the question is, all right, how much is actually flowing through a contract pharmacy? What you see on the left side of the screen, the blue graphic, is that 
Of the 81 billion in 2020, 58 billion is going to flow uh, out of a covered entity. And when Walgreens talks about the amount of fixed fees they earn, the services they're providing, they do provide services to the hospital pharmacy as well as contract pharmacy, but we don't think that's where most of the profit is. Uh, 58 billion for the, from the hospital and clinic, but that leaves 22 billion that is flowing through contract pharmacies. That is the dollar value. The second question is, okay, what is the discount value? We're gonna use that dollar value to figure out how much of the discount is kept, but what's the discount value flowing through? You see on the right side, the red uh, graphic, that there is uh, 12.9 billion flowing through at, in 2020 as discounts. And so this is going through the contract pharmacy and ending up back at that hospital. And another way to put this is that the contract pharmacy is helping that hospital identify in the community and capture $12.9 billion of discounts. And so, yes, they earn a high margin, but they're helping to identify discounts that one could argue would not be accessible without the contract pharmacy. It's a matter of debate how much they're enabling. But I do think that's an important factor to understand. The other thing you'll notice on this page is that the growth rate in contract pharmacy, 34% CAGR, 19 to 21 projected, much higher than what we're seeing at the hospitals and clinics on their own. So what do we do with that? We know there's $12.9 billion. Uh, the first thing you have to do is determine, well, what is the share at Walgreens versus CVS versus Walmart? Again, retail versus specialty. You can see the market shares up here in the two pie charts. Then you take that value and you have to apply fees. So we look at two types of fees, spread-based fees and fixed fees. And there is a lot of data out there from the OIG, from the GAO uh, on the uh, the, the various levels of fees that might be applied and whether they're applied to gross or net. What we did was we looked through all of that and we assigned four different corridors uh, to each player of high fee, low fee, high spread, high fixed. Um, and here's where we ended up. You can see at the bottom of this page, retail spread averaging 6% to 15% of the gross price, especially spread very close five to 16%. And then retail fees running $9 to $16 especially uh, fees running $20 to $32. And that includes some products that will be zero fee and some products that will be zero spread. So when you get to the very far bottom right of this chart, where does that leave us? It leaves us with between 12 and 34% of all discounts retained by the contract pharmacy. So by the CVSs and Walgreens, different rates in their retail versus specialty uh, and different rates depending on the customer type. But in the end, a very high rate, even at 12%, on all the discounts flowing through. So having said that, we get to what is that total level of discount that remains at the pharmacy after paying the, the covered entity? And so what you see here is what would be the 340B gross profit pool if the money didn't go anywhere else, if it just sat at Walgreens and fell to the bottom line, it would be a billion 37. Now, Walgreens was very quick to tell us two months ago, there's no way there's a billion dollars of 340B profit flowing through our organization today. We would not find it. If we did have it, you'd see it. 
uh, in our brand margins. You'd see it in uh, in retail. You'd see it in the specialty pharmacy business. And I think that that can be true. There's not a billion dollars, but there's not a billion dollars, not necessarily because you didn't uh, capture that much of the discount, but because for the last several years, dating back to 2010, growth in this program has helped to enable some of the strategic investments, we can call them, in volume. We know that for particularly since 2015, Walgreens and CVS have been willing to take ever lower rates on their network um, contracts. And I think that what you've seen is that 340B gross profit has been invested to drive volume in other areas of the business. The best example being retail spread. The second best example being the fact that specialty is often sold at AWP levels that are lower than where we know they buy them. AWP of negative 25 or 26 percent. Even if manufacturers are providing some of the margin in specialty, there has to be subsidization going, going on. So the question then becomes, well, okay, if there's a billion 37 showing up or 800 at CVS or 530 at Cigna, and a portion is being invested back, well, what is the risk? If Walgreens only has $200 million, is that the risk? Should the 340B program get quashed? Or does it come back to the billion 37? Just because you don't necessarily have the money doesn't mean you're not on the hook if the source of those funds goes away. So we thought about how do you quantify the risk to these entities? And where I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand, okay, given reimbursement pressure, what might we estimate has gone on with network rates? We see $400 million, $450 million uh, at a minimum, $850 million at a maximum of reimbursement pressure over the last three years. Uh, we think two or $300 million is offset by volume and natural organic growth. Um, where does the rest come from? And could we attribute it to 340B? And the answer is from the outside, no, you really can't. We have some best estimates, but you can't. And so what I came back to was, if we see a disruption of the 340B program, ultimately what's going to happen is that the pharmacies would be forced to reduce what they invest in other areas. They would have to raise those rates. And while a change by the manufacturers, not legislative, but the policies of the manufacturers could begin to impact you or has begun to impact you starting September 1st of this year and could increase into 21, you're not going to be able to go back and get that money back from the payers you've contracted with at a low rate. You're going to have to ratchet it up over time, one year Part D contracting cycle, three year commercial contracting cycle. So what we decided to do was, well, let's simply look at what is the impact on retail and specialty today, and what would that look like if it flowed through? So we're not going to assume there's offsets. It's not clear that there are offsets. Let's stick to what we know, which is our uh, projection for, or what we postulate, which is our projection for the total discounts retained on 340B. And so what we said was, based on the exposure to date, which we have said could be as much as 35 to 40% of contract pharmacy, let's assume that on the retail side, 15%, uh, basically one third of that exposure is executed in the uh, form of not allowing discounts to flow through the contract pharmacy. Could be higher, but we're gonna assume 15% on retail. 
specialty, we don't see quite the same level of penetration, we're going to assume 10%. And when we do that, what we get to is 166 million, the number I mentioned earlier for Walgreens, 140 for CVS, lesser numbers for Cigna and United, which of course are even more diversified. So that's the starting point. That's where we think we already are as we enter 2021. And frankly, if that's where it ends, I'm not sure you'll ever see that in the numbers of Walgreens and CVS, right? They will have the benefit of COVID vaccine. Uh, they will be able to sweep that under the rug. But what is interesting is if we see expansion, if we see that the top 20 in rapid succession uh, do adopt 340B contract pharmacy policies that limit the pharmacy, limit Walgreens, limit CVS, limit Cigna and United, then we could quickly get to a point where 40 or 50% of that contract pharmacy discount is at risk. And as we move to those numbers, it is significantly larger. And I don't think we necessarily even have to get there. I think first, if you see the manufacturer action in January, that's gonna create a lot of headline risk. And I do think the goal of the manufacturers here is we may be challenged on the legality of these moves, but if we can drive an impact in the in late descent, in late 2020 or early 21 that actually leads the pharmacies to flinch that leads to an impact to get them to start talking about it we can begin to have a discussion on where the profits are going and that in itself could be a positive outcome for uh, pharma manufacturers so that is where we're landing in terms of the impact of uh, of or our assessment of impact and how it may pl play through over the next couple of months. Now, what that also led to was the downgrade of Walgreens and CVS. And so where we now sit, there's several factors that influence this downgrade. Um, and I will, I'm gonna pause and we can walk through those separately for those of you interested in the downgrade um, so that we can take a few questions. But what I will say is that uh, the impact here on Walgreens was really the, the first focus for us. It is much larger there given the lack of diversity. CVS, uh, I simply think it's hard to remain at a buy given what we expect to see in January and this issue alongside some of the others that we've listed here, cough and cold and opioid litigation. Um, but we're still constructive on the healthcare benefits segment and we're still sitting at a hold, not a sell. So, you know, diversity of that business just leads to a lot less of an impact, whereas Walgreens, the impact is much clearer. So with that, I'm going to pause here and go to questions because I see uh, quite a few of them. First question, was the why now? Um, well, the why now is the action we've seen by the manufacturers and the likelihood that we'll see much more, particularly if January 6th, we see divided government. I think that's going to be uh, a point where the manufacturers can say, look, the likelihood of, um, we're still gonna see action on pricing in the Biden administration, but the act, likelihood of uh, disruptive action is lower, let's go ahead. Um, Second question, the importance of retail versus specialty. So there are the, the early products and particularly the insulin products are biased toward the retail channel. And so we wanted to differentiate between the impact in that channel. Uh, I would also expect that in the retail channel, you've seen more of this investment back into spread than you've seen in specialty, though it's certainly a factor there as well. 
And in specialty, we're watching a couple of manufacturers I mentioned earlier, J&J and Pfizer, uh, where there's more exposure. So I would kind of look at those as the next shoe to drop. Uh, question here around the retention and uh, how much the, the pharmacies might be able to offset. So would the pharmacies attempt to offset the loss of 340B if it's been funding network rates? Um, you would expect they would. The question is, could they? So, you know, if you don't have access to the 340B discount, um, yes, you would expect that you're not willing to provide the same level of discount to Part D the, the coming year and that your trade-off around volume and price looks different. In some ways, you know, this could be the, the cataclysmic event that leads pharmacies to stop chasing ever lower rates or volume at ever lower rates. But if, if it is, it's got to get worse. We got to see this happen before it gets better. Um, so I would expect that, you know, three-year contracts on the commercial side, you could attempt to ratchet those up, but there's no natural mechanism for it. Um, third is a du duplicate discounts. So I mentioned that, you know, discount can be received by the PBM and also paid uh, or rebate can be received by the PBM, while a duplicate uh, discount is paid by the pharma manufacturer. This is extremely painful to, for the manufacturer because it leads to the product being unprofitable. And, you know, what is the, the goal here? The goal from the manufacturer is to reduce those duplicate discounts. In some ways, I think that's the ultimate goal. And the action on contract pharmacy is simply a way of getting there, although some manufacturers are more focused on contract pharmacy than other. Implications for the PBM and payer, well, for the PBMs, their contracts tend to state that if it's a 340B claim and they lose the rebate, they are not on the hook in their guarantee. So that's important. Uh, for the manufacturer, they obviously, it, most of them contract in a way that, uh, or I should say, a large majority of contracts seem to include that um, if they can identify the duplicate, they don't pay it, but they have to do it within 30 days often, and the contract pharmacies and covered entities aren't sharing that data. Ultimately, if you saw duplicate discounts decline, and there's no good industry data on how large this is, uh, we have a, a very wide estimate that you know is close to $10 billion. If those went away and the rebates declined, you could see that the payers end up uh, with less rebates to work with. You know, ultimately, for the PBMs, that's a pass-through. For the payers uh, and the employers, I would expect that they, pass, they price that in. So, so we are at the hour, and there's only 20 questions left. So what I'm going to say is you're all Nephron subscribers. Uh, I will email you back on all of these questions, and certainly to the extent you want to spend more time we're happy to dig in and happy to dig in on Walgreens and CVS and the downgrades there and all the factors beyond 340B that led to those. So thanks for joining us and we'll be speaking soon.